From military tactics to football and now Magic the Gathering, blitzing is just another tool that can be used to be fast and aggressive in order to either win or turn the tide of the game in your favor. In this episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood, we take a closer look at this new mechanic that took us by surprise and gave us an added benefit in being reckless. This episode is all about the blitz mechanic. Hello and welcome to this episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. As always, I'm your host Chris and I'm joined by Joe. Say hi, Joe. Hello, everybody. And Magic the Gathering, here at Magic the, Ga- Magic the Gathering Under the Hood, we like to take a deeper look into the wonderful abilities and mechanics that are a part of Magic the Gathering to give a deeper dive and to shed some light on some uh, nuances and maybe uh, bring, light to, bring light to you, shed some light on uh, things that you didn't really know and as always if you have any questions comments concerns you want to tell us how you uh if you enjoy or not enjoy the blitz mechanic or you have a idea for a future show you can do so by contacting us at mtg under the hood at gmail.com you can also find us on facebook and twitter at mtg under the hood and with all of that out of the way joe do you have any new decks that you've been tinkering with yes after all, New Capenna came out not too long ago, so we did uh, Saturday Night Magic this week, and you and some of the other guys there had new decks based off of New Capenna Commanders, and I did not yet, but I'm working on one with the card Tivit Seller of Secrets. Now, this comes from the Obscura Precon, and it's one of the secondary commanders. This wonderful card, though, has Council's Dilemma. Which is something that we haven't seen since, oh, what, what it was uh, conspiracy sets. So the Council's Dilemma, whenever Tivit ETBs or deals combat damage to a player, starting with you, each player votes for evidence or bribery. For each evidence vote, I investigate. For each bribery vote, create a treasure token. And while voting, I may vote an additional time. So basically, I want to build a politics deck. Literally a politics deck. Literally a politics deck. But the idea being, I will work with whoever is most willing to work with me. So yes, I'm going to get payoffs, but you're going to get payoffs as well. For example, we could play cards such as the wonderful, uh, let's see, Council's Judgment. Starting with you, each player votes for a non-land permanent you don't control. Exile each permanent with the most votes or tied for the most votes. So a nice little political debate among the table. What do we want to get rid of? We have plea for power. Starting with you, each player votes for time or knowledge. If time gets more votes, take an extra turn after this one. If knowledge gets more votes or the vote is tied, I get to draw three cards. So all sorts of wonderful ideas. This one is one of my favorites. This is another will of the council called Split Decision. Choose target instant or sorcery spell. Starting with you, each player votes for denial or duplication. If denial gets more votes, counter the spell. If duplication gets more votes or the vote is tied, copy the spell. And I may choose new targets for the copy. So basically, a lot of these cards, these Will of the Council, Council's Dilemma cards, are also fairly cheap. They don't really see a lot of play. The only one that's really an exception to that is Expropriate, 
which is that's the one card it's up above 20 bucks because it has seen a lot of play especially under decks and everything which one's that one uh it's time or basically you end up taking it ah. all right is the whole point of it there's also curse of portal which acts as basically a massive board wipe or card draw but it's an artifact so it's a little bit different. Um, and it happens at the beginning of each upkeep, which is why you don't, you know, you hopefully end up getting to draw a bunch of cards instead of destroying all non-land permanents until everybody's ticked off and says, we're done with this. Anyway, um, but the deck is looking really cool. I just don't own a lot of the cards, so it's going to take me a while to actually get it put together. But it looks to be a lot of fun, and I've always wanted to get into more of the political side of playing the game. Um, in our meta, we don't have a lot of that. And so I'd like to do it more, and I think that's a great way to get things started. So, Chris, tell us about your wonderful deck that you played the other night. All right, so uh, I think I mentioned it on a previous episode where I had a uh, partner commander deck that had Drago and Jessica. Uh, Jessica. Um, I retooled it, and I took Jessica out of it, and I put Tevit Zot in as the partner commander. And that one, that was so I could have access. I could have access to black so that I can be able to tutor for the mm. pieces that I need, or it gives me some sacrifice outlets to um, reduce Drago's uh, uh, casting costs um, and stuff like that. And I was able to finally get the combo off that I built the deck around. And how that worked was, um, so Drago... Uh, as I cast it, I can sacrifice any number of creatures and or artifacts, and it will reduce his mana cost by two for each one. And then, as well as that, he also reduces his mana cost by two for each uh, each permanent that I've sacrificed this turn. Yeah, so the sacrifices are cumulative, and they remain throughout the turn. It yes. doesn't have to be re-sacrificed every time you cast it. Correct. And so, um, so what I did was I have things like Impact Tremors, which deals one damage to each opponent when a creature enters the battlefield. I also had uh, Bastion of Remembrance, which is whenever a creature dies, uh, each opponent loses one life and I gain one life. Mm -hmm. I just happen to have both of those out on the field. And as soon as I drew a card, I knew I had won the game because I drew into a Phyrexian Altar, which lets me float, sacrifice a creature for one color, uh, one mana of any color. And so I I made the two thralls. I sacrificed my Panharmonicon because I needed to get his cost down. And then played Drago and then started the loop. And I think you were the one that asked, does anyone have a response to stop this? Yes. And the answer was no. Resounding no. And I was like, well, we're done. Yep. And, <laughs> and I did the you know nice thing. And it's like, okay. This is how I'm going to win. I'm just going to sack him. You're all you're both going to lose a life. I'm going to gain a life. And then I'm going to play him again. Impact Tremors will deal one damage to each of you. And then I'm just going to repeat the process yeah. until I win the game. So that one, I was happy. Like that one has now solidified itself as my Rakdos deck. That it was a good a good play as well. I mean disappointing to on my end for getting smacked in the face so much but it was a great great win very impressive and that's not an easy combo to put together no um and then i also i got to play with my uh newest keyword tribal deck um and it has Agnes the dragon's leash as the commander 
and he uh, he has haste, and he has the wonderful ability of whenever a creature with haste I control attacks, I create a tapped treasure token. So I went with okay, how can I? How many creatures can I sh can I shove into this deck that have haste or ways to give creatures haste, just so that I could get payoffs for um for playing so many keyword mm -hmm. cards. Um, but the real MVP of that deck is definitely like Terror of the Peaks yep. because that one was just it did quite a bit of damage to us. Yep, especially when I have things like Blitzhellions, uh, Skelemental, mm -hmm. um, and those ones are high power, but you either shuffle them into your deck at the end of turn, or you sacrifice them at the end of turn. Right. And Terror of the Peaks deals damage equal to power, so if I drop something big just for one turn, I can hit something really hard. Really hard. And then create a treasure token. And then, <laughs> and if it has ace, swing with it, create a tap treasure token, right. and get more benefits. So, that one was really fun. I think I won. Uh, no, I ended up winning on that one because yeah. of, I was playing Yurlock. Right. Yeah. That time when you had Terror of the Peaks out, I was doing the Mana Burn deck, and I ended up burning both of you yeah. to win out the game, which was fun. Yeah. It, and it and was... different, unique. But yeah, but it was still a powerful deck that took a while and, and had us both pretty scared. Yeah. <laughs> that you were going to just come in and take over the game. Yep. So. So yeah, so great new decks, a lot of fun stuff coming from, from New Capenna, and I know both of us have pulled one of the family leaders, mm -hmm. and so we're talking about trying to do more theme decks, where we're doing more of a deck based off of the actual house, or not the house, the... Uh, the, the family? Yeah, the, the crime family, and so maybe the synergies may not be as amazing, but it's more going to be, let's have... The Riveteers go against the Obscura, go against uh, the Brokers and stuff like that, just as a fun time. So what you're saying is if we can get our playgroup to all build a uh, build a deck around the head, we want a mob war. Yes, we're actually going to go ahead and, and have the, the families fight each other, and I think that would be a lot of fun. Uh, like I said, not at all synergistic, but it'll be fun. Yeah. <laughs> our words to live by for this, this, uh, this week... We're going to look at two terms that you're going to hear us say a little bit more because of what Blitz does. So the first one is going to be full grip. Uh, this is actually a slang term that means having seven cards in your hand, seven or more, really. Um, but it is something that people say when they look at an opponent and that person clearly has a massive number of cards in their hand, uh, especially compared to everybody else. So full grip, rather popular phrase and one that you would need to know. All right. And our next one, Chris? Our next one is going to be out of gas. It's a slang slang phrase for playing all of your cards without having a way to replace said cards in your hand outside of the single card draw per turn. Uh, basically, uh, you draw one card at, you draw one card of your turn and then you empty your hand and then you don't have anything else to do until you draw your next one card. Um, and then our last words to live by is going to be spinning your wheels. Uh, this is a slang term for whenever you're just drawing something and you are just kind of, you're doing stuff, but you're not really getting anywhere. Yeah. Um, you're just standing still, just, you're still doing things, but you aren't doing anything that's either, that's, you aren't doing anything productive, but at the same time, you aren't doing anything that's counterproductive. Yeah, you're so just you're sort just... of stalling there, and like you're you're advancing the game state, but 
not in a positive way for you, yeah. but you're not really, you're not, you're not hurting yourself. You're just not really putting yourself ahead of your opponents either. So, and spinning your wheels can happen from like, if you're just getting mana flooded, if you're just drawing a lot, right. of, if you're just drawing a, a lot of lands and whatnot, even though you're setting yourself up for later in the game, you aren't doing anything at that time. And you're just kind of sitting there spinning yeah. your wheels. Um, all right, so with all of that out of the way, we'll get into the show focus. And this is all about Blitz. Uh, so for its history, it debuted in Streets of New Capenna. It uh, seems to be a similar mechanic to Dash. It enables you to spend the creature uh, spend the creature to draw a card instead of returning the creature to hand at end of turn. Um, so basically, you get to cast your creature for a different cost, and you get benefits, but you lose it at the end of the turn. As opposed to Dash, which enabled you to cast it for a different cost, gave it haste, just like Blitz does, but you return the card to your hand at end of turn. So you had to continually cast it, and you couldn't use it for any other. Uh, Dash has been around for a while, too. That came out, I believe, Fate Reforged. It was it was during the, the Tarkir block. Yeah, I think It originally so. came out. It was, so I think it was, uh, it, it was either Cons or... Uh, Fate Reforged, but Dash has been around for a while, and it seems like this is kind of like building off of or to the side of Dash. And everyone yeah. knows one card with Dash that we all hate. It's totally not Ragavan. Totally not Ragavan. Here's the rules for Blitz, everybody. 702.152. Blitz represents three abilities. Two static abilities that function while the card with Blitz is on the stack one of which may create a delayed triggered ability and a static ability that functions while the object with Blitz is on the battlefield. So, lots of things to talk about. I, it's, it sounds more complicated than it really is. Blitz cost means you may cast this card by paying cost rather than its mana cost. If this spell's Blitz cost was paid, sacrifice this spell or the excuse me sacrifice the permanent this spell becomes at the beginning of the next end step and as long as this permanent's blitz, blitz cost was paid it has haste and when this permanent is put into a graveyard from the battlefield draw a card casting a spell for its blitz cost follows the rules for paying alternative costs in rule 601.2b and 601.2f through h so let's talk about this for real quick just so we can get everything here all worked out. All right. So uh, the, the when you are actually doing the spell with Blitz, all right, keep in mind that you are not going to decide or you aren't required to decide if you're going to Blitz this spell until after you've announced that you've put it on the stack, all right, which is why there are so many different ways or so many different parts of this card that function in, in unique ways, all right? So once you've announced that you're casting the spell with Blitz, or you're casting the spell, it's after that you choose whether you're going to cast it for its regular mana value in the upper right-hand corner, or the Blitz cost listed on the card. Keep in mind, this is an alternative cost, so if you are casting this spell for, say, free, uh, some other effect enables you to cast a card, without paying its mana cost, then you cannot pay the blitz cost. You're only allowed to do one uh, alternative cost per spell every time you cast it. Now, 
Let's talk real quick, too, about if this spell's blitz cost was paid, sacrifice the permanent this spell becomes at the beginning of the next end step. So there's an important reason that they say the permanent this spell becomes. When, when triggered abilities or uh, status, chain, status effects are applied to a spell or a permanent, it only affects the spell or the permanent in the zone in which that ability is applied to the card, all right? So what they're trying to do is actually link this together because technically once it leaves the stack, it's a different zone. And so really the card should not be affected by this ability anymore. But they're specifically made a rule that says for dash, dash has the same uh, kind of wording for dash and blitz, that that part of the ability is linked to the permanent it becomes once it leaves the stack and goes from the zone, the stack zone to the battlefield zone. Uh, and of course, when the card is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, draw a card, um, that happens regardless. It doesn't matter how it ends up in the graveyard, whether it's sacrificed at the end of turn, or it dies in combat, or you sacrifice it at some other point for another effect, or as part of a cost for something else, um, you still get that card. Some of our featured cards, we have first, Zeatora's Envoy. This is a wonderful card that did some good work for me at pre-release. It is a 5-4 creature, Viashino Warrior. It costs one black, red, green, and it has Trample, Blitz for two generic, a black, red, and green. And whenever Zeatora's Envoy deals combat damage to a player, look at the top card of your library. You may play a land from the top card from the top of your library or cast a spell with mana value less than or equal to the damage dealt from the top of your library without paying its mana cost. If you don't, put that card into your hand. So really, it's some good card draw because, of course, the, the card has trample and maybe you'll get to play something off the top of your hand or off the top of your library. Uh, this was just a fun card. I really liked it. It was enjoyable. The problem is it's a high kill target. People don't want you leaving this out on the battlefield very long. And when I had to play against it in a couple games, I felt the same way. You just you don't want to leave that card on the battlefield very long to let them get a bunch of free spells. Yeah. So just a solid card. Chris, what's our next one? All right. So the next one is Riverdeer's Decoy. It's a human warrior for a generic and a green. It's a 3-1, and it has Riverdeer's Decoy must block if must be blocked if able. And its blitz cost is three generic and a green. So this one, it this one is really good if your opponent only has like one creature. Yeah. Uh, and you want to get one through. So what you do is you uh, you'll blitz in the decoy so that they have to block they have to commit their only blocker to him and then you can get through swinging with everything else. Riveteer's decoy did a, another one that did a lot of work for me. And again, it's one of those that you don't care if it dies because like, it's a three one, so it's going to deal some damage. But the whole purpose is for it to swing in one turn, take out something else, be a distraction, and then die and you get to draw a card. While you also get some other damage. I mean, it's it's fantastic. Absolutely wonderful. And our next card follows along the same lines. This is Riveteer's Requisitioner. It's a 3-1 Viachino Rogue for one generic and a red. When Riveteer's Requisitioner dies, create a treasure token. And you can blitz this card in for two generic. And again, this is the same idea. If, you, if your opponent is playing really slow and you're able to 
you, you want to cast this for two because you can swing in for three a couple times. You think it'll work? Great. If you can't, you blitz it in, you swing in for three damage, you're either going to take out one of their blockers or smack them for three, and then when it dies, you get a treasure token, which, again, with this particular set, there were a lot of synergies that made the treasure tokens extremely useful, and if not, you know, you still get one mana that you can use whenever you want. I mean, this was another solid card that I, I was always happy to see, um, and I will pr probably put this into the Zeatora deck that I'm planning to build. Chris, tell us about our last featured card. All right, so our last featured card is Tenacious Underdog. It's a human warrior for a generic and a black. He's a 3-2, and he has... You may cast Tenacious Underdog from your graveyard using its Blitz, blitz ability, and its Blitz cost is 2 generic, black, black, pay 2 life. Um... And we were talking before the show, and that's going into my Conrad deck because it loves things going into the graveyard and coming out of the graveyard and everything. Right. So that's going to be the home for mine. But with this one, even though its Blitz cost is twice as its original cost, as well as two life, you can repeatedly Blitz him from the graveyard. Yeah. Because the nice thing about Blitz is... It doesn't, whenever it, it just dies at end of turn, it doesn't get exiled or anything like that. Um, so you can swing, you can blitz him in, swing for three, he dies, or you can even play him turn two, mm -hmm. turn three, swing. He either smacks for three or takes out something difficult in the process and dies. And then turn four, all right, you pay four mana, two life, blitz him in. And blitz him from the graveyard. So, And again, rinse and repeat. He's either dealing three damage to your opponent or taking out something strong. And you're still if drawing dies, a card. If he dies, you draw a card. I mean, I, I mean all right, so there really this, is no, there's, there's nothing wrong with this card. It is an amazing blitz card that does everything you want a blitz card to do. Can I be honest? Yes. Uh, during, uh, during one of our, uh, during a couple of our games, I think it was with the... Uh, um, uh, sorry, it was on Friday, whenever I played my Agnes deck. Um, I kept forgetting that whenever you blitz a creature, you get to draw a card. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so, so missing a bunch of card draw triggers. <laughs> and, like, so, Tenacious Underdog, you get to, for four mana, you get to four mana and two life. Mm -hmm. You get a creature that has haste, potential three damage. Right. And you get to draw a card. Um... That seems like a very good trade-off for just two life and four mana. Oh, it's amazing. And there, yeah. and there are ways that you can easily, especially in black, now not in standard, but in other formats, black, it's very easy to generate a lot of mana. Oh, yeah. And with also it being in black, you don't really care about your life total as much. If you, you just Either have, that or there are ways to gain it back. Exactly. Know? Like, I mean, black is if you if you win the game with only one life, you won the game. Yeah, it doesn't matter. So uh, no, it's it's a fantastic. I think this is a real. Actually, we'll we'll talk about it in a moment. This is a, the one card I think that has blitz that people are going to be fighting after. And while it is a cheap card now, if you see copies, you should pick them up because I think it's just going to get more and more expensive as we go along. Chris, tell us about the dominant colors for this wonderful mechanic. All right, so 
dominant colors are three in black, five in red, three in green, one multicolored, and the commander has one black, one red, one green. For the featured decks, we, we do have a Jund Blitz deck in Limited, um, and we're going to say Jund because people know that color combination, but it's the Riveteers uh, crime family. The Blitz cards are fairly useful, really, in Limited, though, no matter what color combination you're playing. I mean, I don't know about you, Chris, but at pre-release, even when I was playing, because I played Riveteers the first night, but when I played Brokers the second night, um, I know that green Blitz cards were still extremely useful in, in the deck. If nothing else, like being able to use the Riveteer's decoy to draw a block one direction, take out a creature, and then draw a card. I mean, th there was just nothing bad about the way Blitz works. It, it functions well no matter the color combination. And typically, if nothing else, that card draw ability for having a quick attacking creature is just fantastic. So... Right now, there is no deck that really features the Blitz mechanic specifically outside of Limited, but the Tenacious Underdog is seeing a lot of play in stand, uh, especially in Rakdos Sacrifice decks. So you're seeing a lot of this where the, the Underdog comes into play, and again, they don't care so much about the idea of you know losing the creature at the end. They're sacrificing it, gaining bonuses from the Sacrifice trigger, and then at the same time drawing cards to refill their hand. So Tenacious Underdog is seeing a lot of play in Standard. I think it's going to see a lot more play in some other formats. Like, for example, Pioneer has a Rakdos Sacrifice deck. Modern has a Rakdos Sacrifice deck. I don't think it's going to be able to break into Modern. I think there are just way too many other cards, and the Blitz cost is too expensive. But it might see play in Pioneer. Just a thought. Yeah, I like I can see it in more in Pioneer than I can in Modern. Yeah, I, just, I don't think it's 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 too expensive for Modern. And also with Modern, Modern is pretty much kind of like fleshed out for the most part. Yeah, it's hard to it, it it's a lot harder for newer cards to get right. into it unless they are considerably broken and like or you know made for modern, like <clears throat> Ragavan, <clears throat> Murktide Regent, you know, all of those wonderful things. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, all the ones that are, you know, there's no power creep. Right, no, it, it's no a power, power leap. leap. Yeah, exactly. They're not designed to break the format in any way, not one bit, no. But anyway, <laughs> we digress. All right, Joe, so, I, so last episode I talked about, I took the helm with S.H.I.E.L.D., why don't you take the helm with Blitz? Well, thank you very much, because I love this mechanic. It's so much fun. So when you're using the Blitz mechanic, the one thing you need to remember, be aggressive. Blitz does not do you any good if you're sitting back and waiting that extra turn for summoning sickness. Now, don't get me wrong. There will be times when that's the wiser choice. There are plenty of times when I did that, you know? Maybe you do want that 3-1... Riveteer's Requisitioner on the battlefield on turn two, you know, and because it's going to die anyway and get the treasure token at some point, but you need that powerful, the, the powerful creature that can take out whatever your opponent is throwing at you. So maybe you need that. But usually, if you're running a Blitz deck, you want to be aggressive. So be aggressive, swing away, and then don't be afraid to let that creature die and get the card, because odds are what you're going to draw off of the Blitz creature is going to be just as good. All right, so by all means, be aggressive. 
We already talked a little bit about knowing when to blitz and when not to blitz. Typically, you are going to blitz. Typically, you're going to go ahead and throw it for that down for that cost. There will be times, though, where you're going to want to evaluate the board state and say, you know what, I need to get a creature down to use as a blocker uh, rather than necessarily something that's going to swing in and attack. Don't be afraid of having to sacrifice the creature or letting the creature die in combat. All right. The card draw alone is worth it. And easily, when you're looking at the way especially New Capenna was designed, if you look at the Rakdos color combination, there's actually a bit of a sacrifice sub-theme in the entire set to where you're getting payoffs for having to sacrifice that creature in the long run. So it's okay if you have to sacrifice the creature, you're going to get a card draw off of it, you'll probably get some other bonus if you have the right cards in your deck. There's really a lot of great synergies. So yes, you're going to lose your creature, but you're probably going to get something better and get a little bit of a payoff from it in the long run as well. Blitz costs are typically though more expensive than your regular CMC in the upper right hand corner. Plan accordingly and that's why I said sometimes you don't want to blitz the creature. Sometimes you just need to get something down early so you have a blocker on the field. But if you can hold off a little bit, pay the extra for the blitz cost. It's worth it. Absolutely worth it. But again, plan accordingly because it is going to be a little bit longer, it's going to be a little bit slower at first, and so it's going to take you some time to get things moving. Um, and after all, you don't want to run out of gas with your cards or anything. You want to make sure you constantly have things going on. Just some thoughts on, if you're playing with Blitz, how to make it work well for you. Chris, if you go up against a Blitz deck like you had to on pre-release night, what do you do? Well, first and foremost, you have to know that your opponent will go through their creatures quickly. If they are casting their blitz costs, those creatures are not going to be sticking around. Unlike other stra sacrifice strategies, blitz doesn't run out of gas as quickly. Be prepared for a replenished hand. Um, so pretty much when your opponent blitzes a creature, they're going to be replacing it. So With they, something. With something. So they'll be replacing that card in hand. Be careful how you use removal. If a creature has been blitzed onto the field, is it worth it? Now... Here's the thing. They only get the card draw if the creature dies. Correct. If you can exile it, they do not get the card draw. That's true. Um, so keep that in mind. Instead of doing um, destruction removal, go for exile removal. Or and remember, uh, lowering the toughness to zero counts as dying. All right, so if you're trying to use, say, a, a defile that gives it minus one, minus one for each swamp... Well, it's still going to die. I mean, you'll get rid of it, but it's still going to die, and the person is going to get that draw card. And then uh, you'll also have a good idea on how the opponent is planning to attack. Use that information wisely. So with whenever you're going up against some, someone with Blitz, from the, pretty much from the start of it, you're going to know that, they're gonna, that you're going to be up against a Blitz deck. So if you can plan... If you can plan your board accordingly, you can nullify their entire strategy just by having enough blockers or, you know, enough obstacles in their way so that they can't get to you. Um, so you just want to kind of keep that in mind. Um, but first and foremost, you have to ask yourself, is it worth removing the creature? Because unless you can exile it or even the lesser, well, 
the lesser of two evils would just be to exile it. Well, yeah, to exile it, but you could also uh, bounce it. You could. Um, you bounce but, it. But if you bounce it, then they can easily blitz it again. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. at that point, they're using... If you bounce it, they'll most likely begin to start kind of... Um, both of you will still pretty much like start spinning your wheels. Because yeah. like, you'll, stop, you'll stop them from doing something, but you're just kind of delaying the inevitable, kind of, sort of. Um, so choose your removal and know what... and way whether or not it's going to be worth it so that's how you play with it that's how you play against it and for its uses in different formats currently no cards are used in other formats at the time of this recording this might change in the months to come as people get more experience with the cards and see how some of them can kind of shake things up a bit mm -hmm. um we'll be keeping a particular eye on the tenacious underdog because it seems to be very good. It does. I think and it, it's one of those cards that it it seems like it's really fair in the way it's costed. You know, it doesn't seem overly broken, but it is kind of powerful up front where you're getting a 3-2 for 2. You know, that's definitely, it beats the vanilla curve. Um, and then you're able to blitz it back from the graveyard. The only thing that's really stopping you there is, do you have the life to blitz it, you know? And can you pay the mana? Is it worth paying four instead of doing something else? So I, I agree. I think we, we need to keep an eye on this one because I think this could make some waves in some other formats. So, yep. All right. So with all of that out of the way, we're going to be doing a scuttlebutt. Now, this one is kind of, oh, what's the word for it? Touchy. Touchy, slightly controversial, you know. It's going to be an interesting discussion, that's all. Uh, anytime you start talking about money, the, the situation or the, the discussion always gets a little bit just, you know, you want to tiptoe around some things. And we might, or we might blow your minds right out of the water, and you'll have to just deal with the fact that, hey, these are our thoughts on the situation. And I want to preface this one with these are entirely our opinions, um, Watsi is their own entity. We cannot influence them. We can only voice our opinions, and that's exactly what they are, our opinions. You do not have to agree with them. You do not have to disagree with them. Uh, take it all with a grain of salt. Uh, and nor, nor are we providing financial advice exactly. in the world of Magic the Gathering investing. So, <laughs> And that will you, you that do your potentially own be a later episode. <laughs> yeah, you do your own thing. Um, so with that disclaimer out of the way joe what's this scuttlebutt on magic the gathering will be going up by approximately 11 percent in price in the coming months and that is to the best of my understanding an 11 percent increase across the board so let's talk about this because magic is already an expensive hobby <laughs> you can you can say that again you know i mean it, it's nothing to invest at least $100 in a deck, all right? Now, granted, yeah, you have the cards permanently at that point, but it's nothing, like, easy. You can do 100 bucks, And Pioneer decks are right now anywhere between about 250 and 400 Modern decks, if you're not spending $1,000, I mean, are you really playing a competitive modern deck? Let's be honest. And the further back you go, just the more expensive it becomes. I mean, there, thousands for Legacy and Vintage. There are Vintage Easy. decks that are easily $100,000. Right. It's not a cheap hobby. 
you know, it 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 gets rather expensive very quickly. And the fact that they're doing a price hike across the board where there isn't really a uniform cost to a lot of their products. Draft boosters have been $4 for better part of 20 years, which is great, mm-hmm. you know, but um, the Commander Legends draft boosters were 6 I think, $6. Um, we have draft boosters that are $10 in Double Masters and some of the specialty products. We have $25 collector boosters, you know, 25 once you get to tax. Um, Commander decks are $40, all right? They'll be going up. Uh, price of boxes of boosters will go up. And it's one of those situations where you start to look at it and you go, okay, well, the the expense of a $10 double masters booster, all right, or let's say an $8 Modern Horizons 2 draft booster is not really that much more than a 15 card draft booster of New Capenna, right? Yet the cost is radically different, right? Simply because of the set from which it, it originates. The collector booster being upwards of $25. Yes, you get a bunch of foiled cards. Yes, you get some alternate printings, but again, it's a 15 card booster. So yeah, you're right. You're probably going to spend a little bit more in production cost for that one, but it's also six times as expensive as your regular draft booster. So when you start looking at it, it's it, it really makes you wonder, is the price hike necessary across the board? Or could they just give us a price hike on draft boost? Chris, you and I have been playing for a long time. I've been playing. I've been playing since 2008, and back even back in 2008, a booster was still about four dollars. And I started playing in 2002. Best of my recollection. Granted, I was a young high school kid, you know, and I didn't have all the money in the world. But I want to say, yeah, you know, a a booster draft booster was four bucks a pop. Right? And being able to hold the cost of a draft booster the same for 20 plus years, that's great. That really is wonderful, and I'm glad they've been able to do that. It really is odd that they haven't increased the price at this point on draft boosters. But again, you start looking at the cost of a New Capenna draft booster compared to a Modern Horizons 2 draft. We're not getting any different quality here. So why do we need to have the increase on all the draft boosts? If anything, we're getting less quality. Yeah. Well, yeah, we've, we've talked about that before. The quality of the cardboard isn't quite the same. The quality of the ink isn't the same. More misprints are available. The pringling of the foils. Yeah. Like the whole, you know, like you said before we started recording, the whole Nexus of Fate issue. Yeah. You know, so it's, yeah, it, it's one of those difficult concepts to swallow. Chris, I see you were doing some math here. What do you have for us? All right. So at our at our LGS, um, a box of uh, draft boosters mm-hmm. is $116 after tax. Right. So with that 11% increase, it will take it from 116 to 129 Which, significant difference, you know? Very significant difference there. And I mean... I'm not excited about paying that much more for draft boosters, which means set booster boxes are going to go up too, you know. So, yeah, it's it's not something that people are extremely excited about. And then, and you also said something 
whenever we were discussing this before the episode, that we're going to start seeing a small conundrum whenever it comes to uh, LGS's cracking packs. Is it going to be, with that 11% increase, is it going to be worth to crack packs that you might not be able to make your money back off of the singles? Now, this is also getting into the imaginary secondary market that um, doesn't exist. Insert eye roll here. Um, but, so, with this increase, people might not want to buy more packs. Well, I know. I certainly don't want to buy more packs. I mean, don't get me wrong. 50 cents more on a draft booster. Okay, that's not too bad. Several dollars more on a box. Maybe I'm not so inclined to do that anymore. You know, but even at that rate, maybe 450 per per pack. I would, I would much rather have someone else open the pack. And I mean, granted, I would always rather do that. I'd rather buy singles than buy packs at any point. But it never bothered me so much to buy a box of packs. You know, getting individual packs was always kind of like, well, all right, I'll pick up a pack or two here or there. Yeah. Well, well, you yeah, know, let's toss Because it's always fun. You never yeah. know. You might pull something really good out of it. But even at 50 cents more, I'm I'm a little less inclined to do that all of a sudden. And I've always been less inclined with set boosters ever since they said, you know, $5 per pack for those. And I'm thinking, well, you get less cards. The whole idea of their big spiel was that you were going to get more, you had the chance to get more rare cards per pack. And you get a guaranteed foil. I'm like, well, let's not talk about your foiling process to begin with. That's a joke. And quite frankly, you could get rid of the foil card, and I would be happier with whatever replacement card you put in the pack. But that's a different story. I mean, the only, like, one of the good, the only good thing, sort of, about set boosters is the list. Because there are some good cards that are on the list. That is how I got my Veil of the Night clad. I, out of the the new Capenna box I pulled, the most valuable card was from that I pulled from the box was from the list. It was a Sensei's Divining Top. Oh, all right, yeah, that's a good one. Now that was a, that was a good good pull, a fifty dollar card, you know. But it was the best card I pulled out of the box. At the same time, they've always touted that set boosters are really for those people who are chasing the rares. All right, and so in order to make it more valuable, you need to get. 36 rares out of the pack or out of the box essentially all right at least 36 to break even compared to just getting a draft boosters yeah all right the new capenna box i only got 35 so at that point did i get more uncommons than i probably would have out of a draft box maybe i didn't actually count those up but i would imagine i probably did but now i start looking at it and i'm going you know I think I would have just much rather had a draft box. I'm guaranteed 36 rares at that point. The price is lower, especially looking at this price hike. I don't think I'll be buying set boosters anymore, even by the box, which is, even at this time, the only way I would buy them anyway. You could get the price down to $4 a pack, and then I felt a little less bad about spending the extra money on the draft boost. I was never really excited about it, but okay, I mean, at least give it a shot, you know. Again, in Watsy's defense, the cost of all goods and services have gone up significantly over the years. That includes how much they pay for cardboard manufacturing, but we've also noticed less, uh, you know, uh, poorer quality. They're paying their artists more, all right? I, they're going to have to at some point. They, have, they spend a lot on development, although we would argue maybe they need to spend a little bit more after the period of, uh, what was it, Throne of Eldraine through or even maybe even War of the Spark through <laughs> Ikoria. Um, guys, you probably should have playtested that year's worth of material a little bit more before it became 
quite so broken. Um, and then Standard and, became nothing but Eldrain. Yeah, it, well, or Omnath. Fornath, um, to be yeah, precise. But, yeah. yeah, but, but he was right, banned. It was, it was Eldrain. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was Throne of Eldrain. So, uh, you know, so yes, I know costs are going up, and you have to make that money back. At the same time, Wizards was supposed to double their revenue in five years under the previous president or whoever was in charge of Wizards Coast, whatever it happened to be. And they, they actually accomplished that goal in three years. So if you have doubled your profits, is it really necessary now to go in and raise the price of everything? See, I... Again, see, and again, it's across the board, raise the price of everything. You want to raise the price of draft boosters? Raise the price of draft boosters. I think that's the best way you would get people on board with this. I but, mean, if they just had it as... Like, 11% for, like, draft booster. Awesome. We can stomach that. Yeah. Or if instead of doing 11% across the board, if they had done, like... 5%. 5, 5 or 6%. Yeah. That would have been okay. We could stomach that a lot more. You know, draft boosters go up by a quarter. You know, okay, instead of 50 cents. Um, you know, your commander decks are going to go up $2 instead of $4. You know, at least... Um, Again, not not great, but you know, not terrible. All right, I'll pay two dollars more. I'll, I'll pay two dollars. You know, but this price hike, and I know people look at it. Okay, well, it's two dollars compared to four dollars. But that four dollars can, you know, when you start adding in the tax on top of it, mm -hmm. you know, that gets factored in. Now you're paying a little bit more, and it's going to be easily over forty-five dollars mm -hmm. now in order to get that that commander deck that you were looking at, whereas $40 before plus tax, not maybe not as much of a problem. That $5 can make a big deal. That's after tax. Yeah, exactly. Um, Chris, you brought this up as well, and it's something that we really haven't factored into the discussion yet. When we go do booster drafts at our LGS, entry fee is basically the price of the packs. Mm -hmm. All right. And I think it, it, it gets a little bit more towards the wholesale price to keep things reasonable for people. Um, but it's always just whatever you want, however many packs you end up doing. Typically, it's three. If we don't have a lot of people, sometimes we do four. Um, but it's just cover the cost of the packs, and that's your entry. All right? No big deal. With the price of packs going up, will that raise the price of draft tonight? You know, and again, you look at, okay, 10% more, you're right. If it costs you 10, let's say 12 bucks to do draft night, an extra dollar or two, probably not going to affect too many people. But if you do draft night once a week over the course of the year, you're now shelling out an extra 50 bucks, 50 to a hundred dollars, depending on if it's a dollar or two more, right? You're now shelling out an extra 50 to a hundred dollars over the course of the year just to draft, you know, and that's not including the idea of sealed events. Mm -hmm. Those would go up. All right. Um, and this is just at our LGS, and we're just speculating here. We don't know if that's if they're actually going to do that. But what about the major tournaments with the large organizers? Magic Fest, all right? Mm -hmm. Or will well, they don't. They're, they're not planning really Magic Fest anymore. But like SCG Con, all right? Mm -hmm. um, Star City Games Convention. You know, they'll have their main event, which is what do we you know? Standard, Modern, Pioneer, Vintage, something like that, all right? But all their side events. You know, oh yeah, there is the price of that, and and those are huge. People love to go play in the side events. A bunch of people go down just for the side events. They don't even do the main event. There, um, so there was uh, in our area. There's going to be a big. There's going to be a 5K tournament. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was looking at it, and so the entry fee is you know like 35, 
Uh, I think it's a little higher day of, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pre-registration, uh, pre-registration is, um, uh, online registration is 35. Day of uh, is 45. Right. Um, and then they're also going to have, uh, if I remember correctly, it said that they were going to have like side events of like draft and stuff like on demand. Right. Which is great. Yeah. And that's how a lot of the side events start typically run. You know, when you get a pod together, all right, go, you guys are going to go do your draft and that's fine. But again, is that going, and it probably won't increase the price for the modern event that we have coming up. Uh, but will that increase the cost down the road? And again, it, the only answer I could see is most definitely yes, you know, but again, we won't speak for those companies. But now, again, it's the same idea. You start looking at it. Are people going to be willing to pay the extra dollar or two more, or maybe even $3, whatever, in order to do that draft event when it used to be a little more cheaper? I think people probably still will. You and I like to go draft. We probably still will, but we're certainly not going to be happy about it. And it's just making an expensive game even more expensive. So I don't know. Um, oh, all right. So the side events is they have a um, a CEDH pod tournament. It's a thirty dollars entry fee. First place gets a tundra. Cool. Great. Oh, awesome. Um, and then they have MH two drafts on demand, which is pretty awesome. But again, that goes into the same idea. You know, Modern Horizons two is one of those premium sets mm-hmm. which people love. I love Modern Horizons two. It was so much fun. We it was great. We like to draft. I it still all the love time. Modern Horizons. Yeah, I mean, we we love the the set. It was so much fun and so synergistic in the way it was built. But it was one of the premium packs where draft boosters are I want to say eight bucks a pop. All right. So now you know it's that ten percent increase going to make it nine bucks a pop. Probably not, but we're just speculating here, you know, based off of the, the premium nature of the product down the road, would make it a $9 pack, which means now you're paying $3 at least more to get into that event. And I guarantee because that would come out to $27, all right, they will do one of two things. It's either going to be a $25 entry fee or a $30 entry, you know? And so at that point, again, you, you start looking at all the different variables where it was going to be a $25 entry fee because you're buying three packs, eight bucks a pack. All right, just up at the 25, make it an even number. All right, at 27, maybe they'll be nice and keep it at 25, you know, give you more of the wholesale price on that premium product, maybe. Or they're just gonna up it to 30. And so now you're paying $5 more to draft whatever the next premium product happens to be. Again, it's one of those things where I knew it, it had to happen at some point. I knew it was going to happen. I don't like that it's across the board. If they had done targeted increases or even a smaller across the board increase, it would have been a lot more stomachable and understandable. Yeah. I I think your player base would have bought in a lot better. But the fact that it's 11% across the board and they said they've done what they wanted to do, what they set out to do in five years, they accomplished in three. And let's not forget... The person who was in charge of Wizards was recently promoted to be the CEO of Hasbro. So you guarantee that person's not gone. So he's going to look at Wizards and say, continue to increase your product stream and increase your revenue because I did it in three years. Certainly you can figure it out too. So make it happen, you know? Yeah. So uh, sorry, listeners, for a sort of a, a, a depressing rant, scuttlebutt. A ranting um, scuttlebutt. Yeah, but I mean, they're, they're just, there are a lot of things. It, it is, it's an expensive hobby. And when it comes to a price increase on sealed products, 
you know, whether it's your, your pre-con decks or your booster packs, it's something you really have to take seriously because it's going to affect you significantly down the road. And like I said, I already know I'll be buying less booster packs and probably going to think twice about buying boxes. Um, it definitely won't be an impulse buy anymore or usually I get one per set just to get what I get because I, I usually like the set and I want to get as much out of it as possible. Um, I don't think I'm going to do that. No, I'm definitely, definitely not looking to just be as freewheeling with the box purchases. And so, well, I'm not. So I had, I just had a random thought with the whole, with this whole thing. I now don't know if I'm going to be getting as much Unfinity as I'm going to, as I originally planned. Well, yeah, because it's now going to get hit by the price hike, isn't it? Yep, because it was originally slated for one April. Yeah, it's now slated for second half of. 2022 i think i think i heard october as as the estimated release date now so, which means it's going to get hit by that price hike and yeah see all of a sudden now we're making decisions like mm, well i was gonna buy a lot but maybe not so much anymore again like i said there's just there's so much that you need to to keep in mind and look at when it comes to mtg finance and this is just the this is just the tip of the iceberg, the very basic level of okay, we're we're increasing the cost. What does this mean for you? And there are a lot of things you got to think about. So sorry to be again a depressing ending, but we want especially our less experienced people who are just getting into this to be really aware of a lot of the major factors that are playing the decisions we have to make. And with all of that said and done, as I said at the top top of the episode, if you have any questions, comments, concerns. Uh, give us your thoughts on our scuttlebutt. You can do so by emailing us at mtgunderthehood at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at mtgunderthehood. And you know what? I really would like to plug that a lot this time because this really, we're now a year that we have actually been putting episodes out, all right? And we really would like to hear your feedback, all right? We're not kidding here. If there's something, a segment of the show you really like, if there's something you wish we dive into deeper, if you think there's something that we hit way too much and we need to back off on it, listen, we're open to criticism here. We really will take it, but we, we need some feedback. So if you have thoughts on the show, please let us know. We are happy to listen to it. Just, you know, as always, be constructive, you know, so that we can get some actual knowledge and information from our listeners, someone who doesn't just produce the show. Kind of an idea. Yep. All right, and with that, we want to thank you for listening to this episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. I'm Chris. And I'm Joe. We look forward to delving deeper under the hood with you in our next episode. Stay tuned. Hello, listeners. I wanted to take this time to discuss one card in particular rather important to the Blitz mechanic that, unfortunately, we didn't discuss during the regular episode for a very specific reason. It's Henzi Toolbox Torre. This is a 3-3 legendary creature devil rogue. It costs Jund to put into play, and it is the face commander of the Riveteer's pre-constructed commander deck. Its ability is each creature spell you cast with mana value 4 or greater has Blitz. The Blitz cost is equal to its mana cost. Now on the surface, this is a great ability. 
Unfortunately, we've been informed by judges much more knowledgeable than I that this ability does not work the way we believe wizards intended for it to work. When we see this ability, we tend to think that all of a sudden every creature mana value 4 or greater has blitz, and so where it's going to gain haste when you blitz it onto the battlefield, you have to sacrifice at end of turn, but you get to draw that card whenever it dies. Unfortunately, with the wording on blitz, as well as the wording for this ability, that is not going to be the case. In fact, you're going to get all of the bad end of Blitz, but none of the benefits of Blitz. And there are very specific reasons for this. So let me go over that real quick. Whenever you cast a card for its Blitz cost, you set up a delayed triggered ability. And the important part of the rules for this is if this spell's blitz cost was paid, you sacrifice the permanent this spell becomes at the beginning of the next end step. That is the delayed triggered ability, and because it is linked specifically to casting it for the blitz cost, and it says in the rules, sacrifice the permanent this spell becomes, it means that, yes, when you cast that creature spell using Henzi's ability, you're going to be able to blitz that creature onto the battlefield, and that delayed triggered ability is set up on cast all right so that's going to get linked to the creature that permanent or the permanent that creature spell becomes however the second part as long as this permanent's blitz cost was paid it has haste and when this permanent is put into a graveyard from the battlefield draw a card will not function and that is specifically because henzi gives each creature spell blitz now, for most of your Blitz cards out there, a Blitz cost is actually printed on the card. And so the second part of that, that, that ability that's looking for a Blitz cost to be paid so that it can have haste and the card draw ability, it's right there on the card. Those abilities are able to see it. But when you cast a creature that doesn't have Blitz, you're trying to use Henzi's ability to give it Blitz because Henzi has said the creature's spell has blitz as soon as that spell becomes a permanent it has changed zones and so the idea of it having blitz doesn't go along with the spell to the battlefield so unfortunately at the time of this recording this ability doesn't really work as intended and again judges more intelligent than i have have brought that to our attention however we are hoping for an errata from Wizards because we know what they intended to do or we believe we understand what they intended to do and we would like this card to work the way we believe it was supposed to function. So we're hoping for an errata from Wizards for Henzi Toolbox Torre so that we can go ahead and have this card work the way it was intended. In the meantime, if you are excited about Henzi Toolbox Torre, as I am, I thought this was a great card, and I was really excited to try to build a deck around it, of course, until I figured out and was informed of the, uh, the rules non-bow there. Please, go ahead, feel free to play it the way we intend it to work. Just remember that if you were to go into a competitive event, that rule probably won't fly. Talk to your playgroup ahead of time, most of them will understand what's supposed to happen, and you'll be okay. As long as it's a casual game, it won't be a problem. But if you're looking for a competitive event, whether it's Commander or Legacy or Vintage, where this card is legal, then you will not be able to use that as we believe it was intended. All right. So I just wanted to make sure we brought that to light. Uh, 
hopefully by the time you're hearing this, there will be an errata on Henzi, and it'll work exactly the way we had hoped. That's all for now, everybody. Thanks.